Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to the episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. This is episode 82, Treasure Hunting with Dean Kirsten, Finding the Lost Race Shop Drag Car. On today's show, we talk about Daryl Vatone's car that he campaigned for a short while while his Fiat was being rebuilt and gone through. This is a car that time may have forgot, but let me tell you this, the NHRA records didn't forget it, and whoever happened to fall upon this lucky vehicle, ended up taking home some trophies. So it's a great story about a lot about a car that not a lot of people knew about, but Dean being as keen as he is prepared himself to get this car. You'll be amazed at what he went through to get this car, how long he's been tracking it and some things he did with anticipation of getting this car. So it's an awesome story. It's a, an unbelievable part of hidden history in the Volkswagen world that nobody knew was out there. And it's resurfaced. It's back in the possession of Dean Kirsten. And he's going to bring this car back to its preserved glory. And you'll be amazed at what kind of condition this car is and, and how it's been saved. So, um, you know, we were really thankful to get him on the podcast and get the details of the stories because we know that's what you guys love are the details of the stories. And you can't get it on Facebook. You can't get it on Instagram tweet. You can only get it on Let's Talk Dubs. Speaking of that, make sure any of your friends out there, you forward them and send them a link to Let's Talk Dubs. We love when you guys are for a friend. You can follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel where there's content on there now and more content to come. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Ross Wolf. Tired of the same old stuff for your VW? Check out Ross Wolf. They have a variety of accessories for your VW. Gas tank clamps, fender washer kits, IDA jet covers, distributor clamps, velocity stacks, and body to pan kits. All constructed of T6 6061 aluminum, anodized in a variety of colors. One of the coolest pieces that I personally like is their locking dipstick. Jason and Jared started this company to fill the void in the VW parts industry where customers receive the service they deserve. Where did the name Ross Wolf come from? Well, check out RossWolf.com to read about a man whose commitment to performance was only matched by his dedication to quality parts. To check out more, go to RossWolf.com and check back often for an always expanding catalog. That's RossWolf.com. R-O-S-S-W-U-L-F.com. RossWolf.com. So support those that support Let's Talk Dubs podcast. If you guys want to show some of your support, go to letstalkdubs.com slash store and you can pick up a t-shirt, pick up a hat, pick up some stickers, pick up some stuff to support your favorite podcast and also fly your colors. And if you did buy a shirt, when you do get that shirt, post it on Instagram or Facebook and tag us so we can help pump it up. So we appreciate you guys out there for all you do and know that we got a lot of loyal listeners that are really into the podcast and just wait, it keeps getting better. I got more stories for you on the way next week. But until then, let's hear this awesome story. Dean Kirsten and the Race Shop 67 Bug on this episode of Let's Talk Dubs. Hey, everybody. We're back today with another great podcast. And one of our returning guests, Dean Kirsten, formerly from Hot VWs, but now uh, we can officially call him an archivist in the VW world. Uh, Dean, welcome back to the podcast. 
Uh, it's a pleasure to be back with you, Bill. Hey, so uh, I saw everybody, everyone that's been paying attention to saw on Facebook that you just uncovered a piece of Volkswagen history. And, you know, when I saw the little blurb on Facebook, I said, man, we need to do a, a podcast about this specifically because there's so much about this car, the history, and then finding and hunting cars like this. And so um, to to get everybody up to speed, we're going to start in the beginning. And this is this is an Impy race car. Well, not it's not an Impy car. It's Daryl's car that was post Impy. Give me a summary of what car specifically we're talking about, and then let's get into the history of the car. Okay, so this car belonged to Daryl Vatone, so let's talk about Daryl for a minute. Uh, as many of you know, Daryl, uh, his dad, Joe Vatone, started Ampy, and he also had a dealership called Econo Motors, and both of them were in Riverside. Daryl worked for his dad for years. And during those early years at MP, he worked with Dean Lowry. And Dean Lowry built the Inch Pincher 1, which was Daryl's actually his old 56th Street car. So when Dean Lowry left MP in 1968 to, to form his own company, Daryl then became the sole driver of the Inch Pincher 1. The Inch Pincher 1 then morphed into the Inch Pincher 2, uh, 1970-71, and then when an empty was sold, the car went with Filter Dynamics, the company that ended up buying the empty. And so that car kind of is his own history lesson in itself. So Daryl built his own. He built a 1967 Fiat 850 with a Volkswagen motor and ran H gas in 1973. Well, NHRA hated that car. They didn't like the roof line. They didn't like the front wheels and the wheel well. So Daryl knew he was going to have to completely rebuild this car to run it again. So it was going to be a long process. So he decided to enter. NHRA had a class of modified compact. And his partner, Dave Andrews, who also worked at the race shop, had a record-holding uh, 67 VW that ran a modified compact. Daryl decided, well, for the next year or so, while the Fiat's going to be rebuilt, I think I need to build a car to run with this car. And that's how this project started. So. And at, the, at this time, so to set the tone, Impy's now been sold. Is that right? To filter dynamics? Yeah, Impy, Impy is, has been sold. Joe Vitone is out of the picture, but he now is primarily uh, running Econo Motors, the dealership. Volkswagen dealership in Riverside. Mm -hmm. So Filter Dynamics now runs MP, and so Joe Vitone's out of it, and and uh, Daryl is also out of it, even though he's you know buying parts and building parts. He no longer has anything to do with MP. So Daryl is now in his own shop called the Race Shop, and uh, so MP is you know over on the other side of the, the uh, town at this point. Uh huh. And this is the car that he starts. He figures a car to campaign. In the meanwhile, he'll build he'll build this car. Is that right? Right, right. So he needs a sedan. The modified compact class. Um, you need to start with a com very complete uh, car. You can't gut it. It needs to have seats, no bumpers, but it needs to be a full steel car with door panels, windows. It has to have everything in it. And so, uh, he, he, when, in 1973, when this car was built, he was 
at a building on lot at Econo Motors. And this, the story goes that this car came in as a trade-in, probably with a blown motor. And so they just, they were going to wholesale the car out because it had almost a hundred thousand miles on it. And instead of blowing it out, they went over to Daryl and said, Hey, are you interested in the 67 sunroof that just came in with a dead motor? And, and he said, absolutely. And so they pushed it over his shop and that's how this car started. And then the history of this car, how long did he campaign this car for? And what, what was the setup on this car? So the car was built in a matter of a few months in late. 1973. And so he, Daryl raced this car in the 74 season and part of the 75 season. So only a year and a half did he race this car before he sold it. And it was run initially in a modified compact. And at that point in time, uh, you would be running the motor that he ran at that point was an 84, 89 motor, which is 2090 cc's ida's full race motor uh full race gearbox and it, you know had to put a roll bar in it had stock seats in it and they had a, a rather unique weight bias that the car had to be a 45 55 weight bias so it was a little tricky getting a vw with a rear engine to conform to that configuration so you put a battery in front you do all kinds of weird stuff to, to comply Mm-hmm. And so in 74, Daryl was running a modified compact and his, and his partner, Dave Andrews was running B modified. And they started running these cars, uh, actively in a lot of national events. And what kind of, what kind of times was this car putting out back then? So the first time out with this car was March of 74 at the, at the March meet at Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the record was in A was probably 12, 20 something, uh, 106 miles an hour in that area code. And so the, believe it or not, in, they were running these two cars in modified eliminators. So there was at least 32 full blown cars in this, in this division. These two cars went to the final. Two Volkswagens went to the final with all of these Camaros and Hemi cars and all this stuff. And Daryl went, uh, 1196, 108 in the final. So, and the next month at Gator Nationals, he set the record with the car. Oh, wow. So it's a pretty, I mean, this isn't like, although it's a temporary car, because we're on the cutting edge of a VW record setting, this is a, this is a pretty, a pretty pivotal car here because it's a record-setting vehicle. Right, and the motor is basically the motor out of this Fiat. This is a full-blown H-gas motor that, you know, it's making, even at that time, it's making over 200 horsepower. So it's a full-race motor that would be, in a lighter car, would be running low 11s, high 10s, um, and it's in a, it's in a full-weight car now, just, you know, minus the back seat, but with a roll bar in it. And so it's pulling a lot of weight. And these things were transmission breakers because they had to pull so much weight to be legal. And uh, and so it was a challenge. But at the same time, you're driving a complete car, a solid car. And so Daryl said he loved driving it because it was predictable. It didn't do anything weird like the Fiat or the Inch Pincher 2. And he said it was just a very predictable car. Wow. That's, I mean, that's it's it's insane to think back in 1974 that VWs were running this quick because even today 
I mean, that's fast in a Volkswagen. Running it, running a, a 1196 is fast. I mean, even with the technology and how things have evolved, I mean, there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of drag bugs that are still you know hovering around that area. So uh, for this yeah. being a full steel car, I mean, this is full fenders, hood, everything. It's a yes, it's, it's lights, a, windshield wiper motors, visors, mirrors, everything. It it had it had a radio in it. So it was a it was a complete running stock car, and then they just you know just took out just the bare minimum. But then they had to put a you know a cage in the car and had to put a bunch of weight in the front end. And so yeah, these were full weight stock cars basically. And so what's the, the so the reason he se- he sells the car is because his new car is ready and he just doesn't need this one, or what's the reason behind selling this car? So. He, he ran it through the 74 season and into 75. Well, by, oh, I'm believing, I'm guessing around the summer of 75, the Fiat, which is his number one interest, is ready to go. The H-Gas killer car is now completely done, all brand new setup, and he's anxious to go back racing in H-Gas. So the interim car, let's call it, is now, he doesn't need it. So he, so the car ends up going up for sale. I don't think it ever showed up in National Dragster, although I'm still researching that. I think he just put the word out that he was going to sell the car. And who, who buys the car? And who is a buyer for a car that's campaigned like this? Like, who's a buyer at this time? You know, who's your guy going to be looking to buy this All car? All right. So you, so obviously, even in the modified eliminator rank, Daryl Vatone's name is very well known. And they know that when it comes to fast Volkswagen, you have Dean Lauer, you have Daryl Vatone, you've got the Schley brothers and Preston and the Anderson brothers. So Daryl's name is extremely well known with his connections with Ampy and the race shop. So when word gets out that he's got this, his, one of his own personal cars that runs, like you said, 1190s, 12Os, and it's way under the index, um, it, you know, word gets out fast. And so a guy named Harvey Cox from Waco, Texas, who's not a Volkswagen guy, he's a drag racer, hears about this and goes, you know, this car can run under the index. Um, this might be kind of a sleeper. This might be fun. So Harvey, Story goes, and I'm still researching this. Harvey contacts Daryl, says, "You know, I'm interested in driving, you know, buying this car, turn key, but it's got to run the numbers." And so, a story I just heard the other day, and now from uh, Udo Johnson, is that they probably went to Irwindale Raceway and met there. And back then, you're always apprehensive: is if you're going to buy a turnkey car, are you getting the good stuff? Are you getting the A stuff? And so Harvey says, I'll pay your money, whatever that sum was, but it's got to run the numbers. So they met at the drag strip. Harvey brings the trailer. Daryl runs the car. It runs under the index once or twice. Harvey meets him at the other end of the track. Says, you got a deal. They put it, they drive it directly from the finish line to Harvey's trailer to hand the money. And so he knows he's got the good stuff. And so the car then goes to Texas for for the next couple of years, but immediately all the Vero Vuitton Econo Motor MP graphics are removed. He, Harvey doesn't want anybody to know whose car that is. Right, and and the reason why people do that is 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 kind of the the big fish small pond arena, right? And yeah. if, and, yeah. if you, and if you can cut a check and walk right in the gate with, with a sleeper and rule a class, it's kind of a big deal, right? 
Yeah, and this is exactly what happened, too, when Bill Mitchell of Motion Performance bought Dean Lowry's car. Exact same scenario. Bill Mitchell wanted to get to be a big player in H-Gas, and so Dean Lowry's you know, Dinosaur's car came up for sale. Paul Chalet towed the car back east. Paul runs the number, and Billy buys the car. So it is something that people do just to ensure they're getting the good stuff. Yeah. And then the, the importance of now, now you've got to make sure no one knows it's the same car because there's a little bit of street cred involved. Like you want to be yeah. the guy credited with building this thing. And right. there's a lot right. of that in drag racing. Right. So this car was basically a ivory white paint job with a bunch of Richard McPeak lettering, no graphics and a bunch of stickers. So it was a matter of hours to uh, you know rub and compound all of the lettering off of the car. And so when the car went to a point speed in Oklahoma right off the bat, it was just plain white, no names, no nothing. And and Harvey, when he showed up at the drags with Bear and I think Jeff Linger, you know, he said, I don't want anybody to know this car. And so it was just a white bug with no lettering, no nothing on it because he wanted to be a sleeper and he wanted to catch people off guard with the car because he knew it was going to run out of the under the index right out of the box. Right. No, that's uh, that, that's intense. So he's now got this this quick car, strips the decals off, which then at that time, you know, no one's concerned about preserving history. Everything is constantly yep. evolving, and it's like, you know, switch it up and, and make it your own and then take credit for having this super fast car. Right. So now this car gets yeah. stripped down. for the, Now, how, how long does Harvey – so I should mention, as so this was, from what I can understand, this is probably summer of 75. Well, in September is the U.S. Nationals, which is, you know, the biggest meet of the year. Harvey takes the car to the U.S. Nationals and wins his class with a car. So, uh-huh. you know, Harvey's no slouch. He's a good driver, and obviously the car runs the number. So he gets his wally of it, and I think he sets the record, but I'm there again. I'm doing some research on it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the car is running in you know, and Harvey learns about, you know, Volkswagens and breaking gearboxes. And so he races the car for about two years. So now we're into 1977. And he's, I think, from what talking to his son, because Harvey's since passed away, he's ready to move on. He wants to go pro comp dragsters. So he puts the car up for sale. And word gets out there again to the VW industry, especially in Texas and in the South, that you know, this is, uh, you know, a pretty stout B-modified compact car coming up for sale. And uh, a, a team, uh, two guys ended up buying it, a guy named Steve Shook and Jim uh, um, Fulton. And they're based in Louisiana, down by Baton Rouge. And they're well aware of the car, especially the motor. It's got Fumio heads. They, they know the car's history. They've been following it. And so they decided that, yeah, we could have a national, you know, record-holding caliber car with this one. So they end up buying it as a team. And this is 1977. Wow. And then, so now they get the car. And, of course, when they get the car, they're going to they're going to try to change the look of the car as well? At first, no. At first, when they first got it, this is a quick story, too. So when the, the car was sold, it had a broken gearbox. And so in, in both Steve Shook and, and Jim were drag racers. I mean, they had a number of cars, so they knew what they knew how to run a car. And so when they were negotiating the car, 
they, they, he, uh, Hardy said, it's got a broken gearbox, but other than that, it'll run the numbers. So they said, no problem. We'll buy it as it. So there was a big points meet in Gulfport, Louisiana that weekend. They drive to Waco, buy the car as is loaded up on the trailer. Well, they have their own spare gearbox in the back of the truck. They're ready to swap it out. <laughs> they drive directly to this points meet in Gulfport, get the car, pull the motor out, put their gearbox in it, put, get it back running, get in the lane, first pass under the index. And they're both looking at each other at the other end going, what did we just buy? And they're going, this is, they've never had a car that ran that far under the index right out of the box. He set the record. Wow. And so, and so right after that, they repaint the car. Then the car becomes white lightning and the paint job that, so this is 1977. The current paint job that's on the car today is the way they painted it. And so it was just icebox white. And with all the graphics and white lightning, and then they added their own contingency decals and stuff like that. Wow, that's uh, that's insane! So this car goes from from owner to owner, setting records every yes. time. So it's like yep. if you want a Wally, just buy this car, right? <laughs> and they they feel that in talking to Jimmy is that he says that it was the the Fumio heads. He says no matter what car that engine was put in or with those cylinder heads. He says those heads were the key, and they said, and they knew that those heads were race shop heads, which were even better than a production uh, set of a Fumio head. And they said that was the treasure in that deal. I mean, you can build a, you know, a slipper skirt eighty-two, eighty-eight motor, or a seventy-eight, eighty-nine motor, and that stuff pretty much over the counter. But it's the cam and the heads and the headers that really make the power. And they had those parts, and so. Other than fighting broken gearboxes, which that car always had problems with, um, they you know the car has always been a national caliber car. Wow! And then so now now it takes on the the moniker of White Lightning. Yes. Now how? So, go ahead. Uh, they run the car from 1977 pretty actively through the late 70s, and by around 1980. Steve Shook uh, wants to build a different car. He wants to do a, some other types of racing, and he's not really. A, he wants to build a lighter car because this car is just a bit heavy, mm-hmm. and he wants to build a lighter car and do you know more match racing and stuff. And so uh, Jimmy wants to keep the car as is, so they part ways. So Jimmy gets the rolling car and the short block, and I think it was a 78, 88. <laughs> no heads. No heads with the car. <laughs> no heads. Steve says, I want those heads. So he goes, Jimmy goes, I can I can get another set of Fumio heads. And so they part ways. So from that point on, 1980 to the early 80s, it's Jim Fulton's car, and he starts running it more locally, not national events, and just more bracket racing and Saturday night racing. And so it's still White Lightning. It's now Jim Fulton's car. And, uh, you know, it's running good numbers and, but it's just, it's just, it's, it has a different direction as far as where the car is going. Yeah. And so now he has this car up until, so he, he buys the car, takes ownership in 1980. And I mean, he's using it as like a test and tune car or just a local drag car. Yeah, for a local, and stuff. Loc- yeah, a local bracket car from the, my impression from what he was telling me the other day. And so it's more of a local car because he wasn't, Jimmy wasn't interested in hauling it all the way to Gainesville or Indianapolis. So he stayed pretty much, I think, in the Louisiana area, maybe Texas. 
And so by 83 or so, he's, his, he needs to spend more time on his uh, career and, and make some money. And he's got family things that he needs to deal with. And, you know, the constant flooding that's in that area is, is, is always causing problems with their homes. And so he said that the car just started getting parked. And so by 83, 84, it's not really being raced much. And he can see that, you know, it's just that it, he needs to store it because he doesn't really have a good garage for it and everything. So around 1985, he decides that it needs to be put in storage. And I call it deep storage. So one of the family homes has a greenhouse. And it's a maybe 20 by 30 greenhouse. And so he... Un, he op- he kicks one of the walls out, pushes this car in minus motor. Now he's, the motor's already gone and, and into another car. And so he puts this car in sort and he just covers it up and he really protects this car. He wants this car not to the, you know, obviously Baton Rouge, Louisiana is a very hot, humid, damp area, a lot of flooding. And so he, you know, basically covers his car that no one can see it and it's going to be protected. But who knows? It was going to be there for thirty-five years. Wow! I mean, to go to that length. I mean, most most of these drag cars, they're one of those deals where it's like when it's no longer the new cool thing, they just kind of get discarded to the side and, and sold for pennies on the dollar. Yep. Yeah. Well, Jimmy knew the history, and he always embraced that, and he knew the importance to keep this car because that it goes back to the race shop and Economa and Rivers, you know, and all that. And that's why I think he did that. Instead of just being another local drag car, this car really, you know, it's set five national records and, you know, he's won five Wallies with this thing. And so I think that was his motive to protect this car and to save it because of what's underneath that white lightning paint job. And now at this time in the, in the early eighties, I mean, this history is, it's too new to be old, if that makes any sense. You know yeah. what I mean, and and it kind of, it, it to some people it's gone off the radar. The car's been really out of the scene now for five, six, seven years, just because it's been locally raced. It's no longer like a national contender, and so for the memory of most people, it gets forgotten about. Now, how do you find out, and how do you start putting the pieces together for this thing? Okay, so. Going back maybe 20 or 30 years ago, there was a, uh, a number of guys in our community started thinking about what you were just saying, these old drag cars that have just kind of disappeared. And it was kind of a, a nostalgic thing that, that came up into our industry. And so they started searching for these older cars. And, and so cars like the, the Dino Dinosaur car was found in uh, uh, El Paso, Texas, now repainted, but it's no, it still existed. And the Tar Babe was found down in uh, Mexico City, pretty much, you know, that it, everybody knew it was Tar Babe. And so the and so these guys started buying these cars, uh, restoring them to a certain point, and and you know, some of them went to Japan, others went all over Europe and and then obviously Russell Ritchie comes into this play yeah. because he was buying a lot of these cars restoring them back the way they were and taking them to nostalgic events like the European Bug-In. So with this movement going on 
20, 30 years ago, a couple of guys that were based here in California found this car. They, they you know, they did the homework and they found this car uh, and talked to Jim Fulton about selling it. So now we're talking about in the early 90s. And Jim, for whatever reason, I mean, it, it could have been a running, driving car by then at that point. And they never bought it. Either the price was too high or, and I think, which is probably more accurate, it was just a white 67 sedan. It didn't have any fancy names. It didn't have any fancy graphics. or, And it just kind of was, why? It's just kind of a boring car, and it only ran for a couple of years, and it wasn't like it was the inch pincher. It was just Daryl's white 67, and they passed over it. it for, hmm. You know, they went for bigger fish, and so it just kind of got ignored. And so I followed all of these guys. Every time I heard about these cars being found, I'm following along. So, you know, these guys are holding a lot of these uh, this information close to the vest. And um, I picked up a few pieces. I, I knew the car was in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And I kind of knew that it was down there. And so over time, I would do some research on it. And I started picking up Steve Shook's name. So I started searching him. And then Jim Fulton's name. I started searching him. And, uh, unfortunately, neither one of them were easy to get hold of. I couldn't just, you know, find their phone number and call them up and ask them. Neither one of them. And, uh, it, so it took a long time for me to finally find out where the car was, who actually owned it, and how to get a hold of them. Now, quick question. Were Steve, were, were Steve and Jim, were they still actively racing at all? At what point? At the point that you're starting to do this research in, let's say, 20 years ago? Um, yes, he shook, had moved on to VW Pro Stock, had a number, him and his son Chad, who's still uh, pretty active, uh, they're, they have a, they're still in VW drag racing, so they've got a Pro Stock, they're, they're racing in Texas, and they're racing in the South. So, you know, I had seen Steve, you know, at the races, but I had no idea that, you know, at, that, that car, that he, he was connected with this car. And so Steve was still a player, but by now he was a professional, a deep sea fisherman in, in comp competition and very successful. And so I found his name on the line. I, I kept calling the number and I never got an answer. I kept getting voicemail, voicemail. And I'm like, God, I can't get a hold of this guy. So then I found his son, Chad, on Facebook and I contacted him and he says, well, my dad's not doing very well. He's, he has some medical issues and He's just really not active anymore. And so I had to kind of read between the lines that I wasn't going to be able to talk to Steve very well. Chad gave me a few hints about what he knew of the car, which led me to Jim Fulton. Well, Jim Fulton just was not in the, the – his phone number wasn't accessible. He wasn't online, and I really had to do some deep searching. And it took me – so I finally found through Google Maps – a house in Baton Rouge that was owned by a James Fulton. I said, well, there it is. And I could see the picture of his house, you know, the, the satellite picture. I go, well, and I'm looking in the backyard under these trees. I go, there was a carport. I go, that's where the car is. It's got to be there. Well, I couldn't get a phone number. So I wrote him a letter. This is 2012. I wrote him a letter. Wow. I didn't get a response for a year. So then I wrote another letter. 
and then another one. And so for two or three years, I, I would write him letters. You know, hey, this is Dean Kirsten again. I'm still interested in the white sedan. If you're, you know, like to talk about it, I'd love to talk to you about it. Nothing. So all, then finally, I don't know, maybe 2014 or so, he either emails me, I think he emails me and says, Dean, I, I got your letters and I'm just not interested in selling the car. Um, I promised it to my nephew. We're going to go racing again. And that was it. And so every six months or so, I'd write him a letter or email him. Or finally, by now, I got a phone number. I'd call him and things didn't change for years. And I just kept at it. Yeah, that's, you know, I think that's that's some of the stories you get, you know, when we're, when we're cruising the streets and you see a, a nice early VW and you knock on the door like, hey, I see this car is just dilapidated inside of your house. I'd love to buy it. Like, oh, no, I'm going to I'm going to restore it with my my son or my nephew or whoever. And we're going to go out and do something. It's like this common story. And it just pains us to see these cars that just sit because we're like these cars need to be you know, dusted off and brought out and, and, and shown off to the VW enthusiast. So from 2014, you know, he's sending this email and he's telling you, you know, I'm not really interested in, you know, we're going to, one day we're going to go racing again in this car. Yeah. So, so that's really the way it went on. And I have, and I kept notes, I have a, a, a folder and a three ring binder. Every time I talk or do something, I write notes and date it because your memory is going to fade as over time. And so I, you know, I look back at my notes about what I said, what he said, and where we are on this deal. And now looking back at it, it he went through some tough times. His, 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 some of his family members were quite ill, and he really had to spend a, a considerable amount of his time taking care of his family. Plus, the area got flooded out and some severe uh, uh, damage to their home. So he had a lot on his plate, and, and racing a Volkswagen was unfortunately way off the radar. So, so now looking back, I understand why he was where at where he was on the car. But there again, he just I think between holding it for his nephew and finding the guy that would appreciate the car's history were most important to him. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of those things when we have something that, and you don't just keep a car like that because you don't want to sell it. You keep it because there's a sentimental value mm-hmm. to it, and and you'd hate to, you know, when you're letting something go. And those of us that are real car enthusiasts, we believe each car kind of has a soul, and we don't want we're just not to trying to pedal it down the road. Um, and so it, it's really, I mean, it's got to be the right person who ends up getting the car, yeah. and, and you know whether it's a rusted Hulk or whatever, but has significant value or, you know, a car that's been stored away meticulously like this thing, you know, the owner really wants it. The person that cares for this car really wants the next person to really care for the car in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I think his worst fear he mentioned to me was that someone would buy this car and repaint it and turn it into something and just completely ignore where the, and just didn't care about, who's this baton guy in Riverside and I don't care, I'm going racing. And so I think that was, that was in the back of his mind because I hate to see the, the history of this car just completely ignored and lost. Yeah, no, that's uh, I mean, I, I don't think it, I don't think it could have ended up in better hands. And oh, so, thank you. And, and now how do we get to the point where, when do you get, when do you get the call and how does this all come together? So in one of my many emails over the months, uh, 
probably right around the the first of the year, I decided to go uh, full throttle on him. I decided I need to get his attention. <laughs> I need this so, car. So <laughs> yeah, and I thought because this is we're just getting nowhere with it. So I wrote in one of my as an email. I said, you know, Jimmy, I, I'm serious about this car. I, I've got room in my garage. I'm retired. I got time. I got the motor complete in the garage, the right stuff. I got Fumio angle board heads. I got the stuff. And I said, I, you know, I really want to take this, I, you know, this project on. And I, so I threw him a dollar figure. I said, I will pay you sight unseen. I will pay you X amount of dollars. I figured, well, maybe this will get his attention. Sure enough. Boom. I get an email back. He says, well, your timing is probably pretty good. He said, uh, and he says, unfortunately for our family, my, uh, brother-in-law had a major medical issue and he is not, and he, it's going to be long term. And he says he's just not going to be able to do any kind of car project with his son, Jim's nephew. And he says, so they're, the family's realizing that this car, this DW deal with Uncle Jimmy isn't going to ever happen. So he says, I, I think that we can start moving on because the family now is to finally come to the conclusion that we can't do this. So that was really the turning point uh, in January, let's say, that we're starting to move ahead. We're, this thing is going to happen. And that's January of this year. Yep. Yep. And obviously with things in, in such a spun out place that nobody could have envisioned us being in 2020, um, how did that, how did this all come together and what were the, you know, was it a, a timing thing or you just had to make the time to go down there and get it? And then, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it was, and we were both discussing, now we're on the phone, we're discussing this travel issue. And the, the other issue was, this car is barricaded in this greenhouse. <laughs> this car was, this thing was never made to come out. And he says, this thing's got mattresses. It's got lawnmowers and tractors and all kinds of things. He says, you physically, I said, can you take a picture of the thing? You can't see it. It's, if you walked in this room, you, you might be able to see the bottom of the tires. He said, I, by design, no one can see this car. And so, and then with the weather being so crummy in the winter down there, he says, so it took months to get this for him to get the free up time and to start. He had to completely disassemble this greenhouse to get this car out of it. Oh, wow. And that was a long process to drag all this stuff out of this. So that was a couple of months or so to just get it exposed because I'm dying to see photos of this car. Oh, yeah. So finally, after a couple of months, he sends me a couple of photos of the interior. And I'm all excited. I'm like, oh my God, it's still got the, 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 uh, Chas Morris roll cage. It's got the seat, uh, 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 brace in the back. It's got, it's got all the right stuff filmed. And I'm like, yes, that is the car. And I'm looking at the dash. It's got the tack mounting uh, bracket holes or where they're supposed to be. And it's got all the telltale things that I'm got photographed from Jer, uh, all had of. I've got everything. I go, yes, this is the car. I said, give me more, give me more. <laughs> well, I can't. It's still got all these covers and stuff. And part of it, he didn't want it. He was kind of ashamed that the car was so filthy, dirty, and, you know, and it just didn't look good. And he had so much pride in this car. So, yeah, I was 
like pulling teeth trying to get photos, but he was concerned because it didn't work good. And I'm like, I don't care. I, mean, I just want to see it. Just he, give me a photo. He, he might be worried the, that you, you might want to back out of the deal. Like, oh, well, I remember, yeah. being, you know. But yet, for me, I want to see the barn fine photo. Sure. And unfortunately, I never got it. I begged him. Just give me an obscure photo with all the crap on it. I, that's what I want. I, I, I need an opening photo of this story. Oh, yeah. And I never got it. So, it. so he finally gets the car out. And now he's trying to get it out of the greenhouse. It's got four locked up wheels because it's been sitting for so long. So it's got four flat tires, four locked up wheels. Well, he has to drag it out of this greenhouse just to get it out on into the yard so he can start working on it. So that takes some time. The weather goes south again and, you know, it's, it's a monsoon down there and he can't move it. So he, he has to get it from that point to his other house. The one that I found on Google Maps. <laughs> and he's got four locked up tires and wheels. So, and he doesn't have a trailer. And so he says, he told me one morning, he says, so he says, um, I, I went over there at five o'clock one Sunday morning and he said, I put it on skids. And I still don't know what he means by skids. And I don't know if that's just a, a two by 10 boards or what. Right. He, he dragged it on boards. Uh, through the neighborhood for about a mile or so in his <laughs> other house. And I can't even imagine doing that, but he says, you know, I went like five miles an hour and he dragged the car to this other, you know, so the tires weren't on the ground, but, you know, they were locked up. So however he did that, I, I, I'm baffled by that. Anyway, he gets the car to his house. <laughs> and so then he puts it up on jack stands, cleans up all the crap off it. And now he's starting to get the wheels loosened up, and that took a while there again. And so finally, about a month ago, it's on wheels, and it's a roller. And I said, okay, Jim, are we ready to go on it? He goes, yeah, yeah, we're, we're ready to go on this thing. I says, well, because I need a couple of weeks to book my airfare and to kind of get my ducks in a row. And so we just projected, okay, how about August 3rd? And go, okay, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, first of the week is better for me. And so the weather broke out, broke good, and it happened. And so uh, uh, that's how the meeting happened, which was uh, Monday night when I finally arrived at the airport and drove directly immediately to the house to see it because I had to see this car in person. For the last time I saw it was 1975 winter national i mean this the the crazy part about this car is this this car has done has set significant records in a in a critical time during vw drag racing and it's like it's not even on the radar no that's the craziest part this is like it's like the gem that nobody knows about you know what i mean And, and, and i think that's 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 one of the reasons why i i wanted to do and get the whole story in the car because a lot of people who don't follow this this closely would if if this car showed up at one of the typical VW shows and it just showed up like it was today without the story being out there of what this car is most people probably wouldn't know the car no they would just walk right by and go huh they'd look at the stickers and say oh that one says 77 that's on 78 you know huh you know cuz you know wasn't a west coast car it didn't get in the magazines and so, yeah, it, it's a it's a nothing it, unless you know specifically if you look at the rear deck lid, right? <laughs> and on the right side of the deck lid, 
there is a bump and it's and it's actually it was a and Daryl told me this it was a it was the lid off a early 40 horse air cleaner connect air cleaner <laughs> and they had welded it on the hood to clear the number two velocity stack of the of the Weber because it had it had globe manifolds and so it would normally it would hit the deck lid and so he in, instead of popping the deck lid which people started doing later in life or uh, he welded this bump on it. And so that became a very unique characteristic of the car. And they put a center cutout down on the, the apron yeah, for, for the, the stinger. stinger. And so those two things from the back of the car immediately makes it identifiable that you, that this car is different. And that's when I look at pictures old and new, that's the first thing. When I saw the car for the first time on Monday night, I walked around the back. I like that good. That's the car, you know. So, because nobody put a forty horse air cleaner lid on their deck lid. No, nobody. And and so my question then goes to, how did you, like, how did you figure out all this about this car? And were you a fan of this car back in the day, or was it something that you learned from talking to, to talking to Daryl? Like, okay, so yeah, so I was a fan of the car back in '74 because I had my. Uh, 67 streetcar back then, like you said, right at the height of the Cal Works deal. And so I was a fan of it, but then it just went away. And so when I started thinking about this car, you know, 10 years ago, and especially within the last five or six years, I started really doing research. So um, I started buying every photo I could get my hands on of this car at national events from all the professional photographers. So, you know, I would go through uh these guys websites and sure enough you know guys had or uh, bug in photos they had winter national photos of it they had Irwindale, orange county stuff so i started buying every photo and most importantly my my connection with this is the photographer gerald haddock who we've talked about in the past right he was so good you know obviously gerald vatone was one of his best friends and spent so much time in Jer shot this car for VW Grace magazine and drag racing. And so I knew Jer had photos of it. And so since Jer's passing, you know, last year, I've been going over to his uh, widow's house, Linda Dunsworth's house, mm -hmm. going through his archives. And I have spent days and hours and not going through thousands and thousands of negatives looking for a few negatives of this car which i found a few of them and so in front of me i have a three ring binder that's about three inches thick of every known photograph of this car wow three stories that were in print i've got copies of thanks to the guys on the internet for finding them all and so every every photo i get my hands on goes in here all the notes i have all the specifications everything is in here and so over time, I every time I find out something, it goes in here, and so I'm you know I I'm trying to document everything this car ever did, the motor sizes and everything, and uh, so I knew that one day I would get to this point and I'd have this car and I could restore this car and try to be as accurate as I can and with a full historical background to back it up. Well, and, and so so my next question is, do you <laughs> do you preserve the car in the condition it's in or do no. you bring it back to its original yeah state? that's that's really why i want to yeah it's going to have to come completely apart 
Now, what's kind of different about this car, and it, it says a lot about the era, is that going back to the story of how it came to be, is this car was a trade-in. A 100,000-mile car that got traded in at Econo Motors, probably with a blown motor. And so it, it, it wasn't pretty. I mean, it was straight as an arrow, thank God. Um, but it, you know, it had a tear in the driver's seat. It was a repaint. And so when Daryl got it, he did, it was Venus blue originally, I find out now, huh. now that I've seen it in person. And Daryl wanted it white because he thought that was a good, you know, race car color. So when the car came in, they did the modifications to the apron and the decklet, repainted the outside white, and then it went to Richard McPeaks and lettered. And so when you look at the car now, Okay, so we have original paint interior door jams under the trunk. In the engine compartment, we have original Venus blue, but the outside is white. And so when, <laughs> so the, so, so by restoring it, you know, I don't want to make this car look like a showroom, uh, you know, mint, uh, 100 point show car. Right. That's not what this car was. No. It wasn't built new like Tar Babe or something, or Inspector 2 where they were just gorgeous chrome anodized cars this was a you know this was a, a used car and that's what this car was so the restoration is going to be a little bit different than i'm probably normal normally doing is that it's not going to be powder coated it's not going to be there's not going to be one part on this car chrome uh, i'm gonna the car's going to have to come completely apart the, the pan's going to have to be media blasted because it's just it, there's just too much junk on it mm-hmm. and so the pants is going to be paint it's not going to be powder coat it's going to be painted probably semi you know a, a stock a stock finish the tar boards are going to go back in it the interior is going to be resprayed uh zenith blue because that's what it was right the outside's going to be i you know uh lotus white and so it's going to be door jammed. And so it's going to be goofy looking, but that's the way the car was. Well, yeah. And it's not going to be perfect. It's it's you know, it's going to have a new headliner and all that on it. And it's going to be fresh, but it's going to be a little funky because it was funky. I mean, this this car was the, the quintessential, like, I really want to go racing, so that'll do type of car. Yes. And, yes. and it's like, how can we, okay, we'll just make it white. We'll letter the thing do a few body mods, and then it's, I mean, is this car essentially bone stock, rip the seats out, put a roll cage in it, and everything else other than drivetrain kind of stays? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, that's the way it's going to be. I mean, I'm looking at the front beam, and the, it still has the uh, main bearing shells under the lower beam for to add cast. It. You know, that's an old racer trick, so they're still in there. Um, and also the lowering of it, I uh, doing some research through Ron Fleming and, and Chalets and everything. The, the, this, thank God, the, it, what, there's no cut and twist on the beam because that really wasn't a popular deal that early on. And so the, the, the front portion springs have been welded and cut, and so to lower the front end, the shock, are original Bogue oil-filled shocks that have been drilled and drained and and run without uh, dust covers, and so the so they would just be loose noodles. I mean that car when that car would transfer, that car would stand. It's just typical, you know, Berg setup where the front end of the car would stand up on the wheel, 
and uh, it, it would just drop down, and those were just stock shocks. And really, Bear, to- Bear told me a great story. He said, "So we just got these stock shocks that we drilled out, and you know they're just stock Bogue shocks. Well, companies like Monroe Shocks are paying big contingencies. So what we would do is we'd put the, you know, <laughs> if you look in the door, is a big Monroe Shock sticker on the door, right. and they would take the shocks off, which are just black, paint them yellow." put Monroe stickers on them, stick them back in there. And so when the contingency guys would look at the car, they'd put their head in there and go, yep, that's a Monroe shot. Good to go. <laughs> and they'd get a few contingency bucks for doing that yeah. without even having and to buy so the product. That's a, and the original Coney shocks from day one are on the car. The seat belt, which blew me away, the original shoulder harnesses are dated 1974. They have never left that car. Wow. I mean, how, the chances of a, a car built in 1973 in first race in 74 that, you know, 45 years later would still have the original belts in it? Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it's, a, it's such a time capsule car, yeah. you know? I yeah. mean, and you, and your goal is to bring it back to yeah. the race yeah, shop. Absolutely. Glory. And using my photos... The thing like the tack, Daryl loved cable drive tack, mechanical tack. So it had a Stuart Warner cable drive tack, not an electronic one. So it's so it's mounted on the dash, and I have, I'm gonna have to build that bracket. The holes are still there, and so it runs. There's a big heavy cable that runs down the firewall, down the passenger side tunnel, through up on the parcel tray and through the firewall, and it goes to the magneto. So, and then I had to get a uh, vertex magneto four cylinder that had a cable drive on it, which <laughs> I found through you know my buddies on the internet, that Halby Butch and Raymond. And um, so I've got the right tack for it. And that's one other thing that's unique about the car. When you look at the rear firewall, there's this hole, this cobbled out hole on the bottom of the firewall in the center that's about three quarters of an inch in diameter. And you say, well, what the heck's that for? Well, that's for that cable that goes from the front of the car to the engine, and that hole is still there. And so you've been planning. I mean, you've been planning to get this car for a long. I mean, yes. you've been planning to get it long before he said you can have it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, this goes back to, <laughs> this is going back eight years. Oh, yeah. Because you, you're already building the engine for this car before oh, you yeah. even have the car. Yeah. So. I, you know, I've been, you know, as I'm working feverishly on Jimmy to sell me the car, one day I'd look at a Facebook marketplace and a set of Fumio angle port heads and globe manifolds come up for sale. And I about fell over. Now, Fumio only built maybe four or five sets of those ever. Well, those heads were developed in 1973 for the A modified compact class. And so when Daryl debuted his car in March at the uh, March meet, it had those heads on it. And so well, if you're going to restore that car back to 74, you got to have a set of angle port heads. Well, they're extinct. They're gone. Yeah. And then Butch, my buddy Butch, put them up for sale, and I'm like, I don't believe this. And so, you know, and they haven't been bored to 92. He said, no, I, had, I ran an 89 motor. And I'm like, they're still 89. They got Dino retainers on them. They're they still have the globe manifold, and they're in mint condition. I, so I go, well, I don't even have the car. I said, well, I got to buy these heads. 
So I ended up buying the heads. He had the, the custom Chasmores exhaust system, which is beautifully TIG welded, hand formed merge collector, specifically for those heads. He had it. And so I, so I bought those, you know, eight years ago or six years ago, I bought those knowing that those heads go on that car. And so then from them and him and uh, Raymond, I was able to get the, uh, the crank that was an, uh, a, a Chevy rod, 84 across the crank, child and Albert rod, uh, 89 slipper skirts, which are extinct. Um, and, and then more research, the F3 camp. I mean, these two guys, my, these two guys have come through. I can't believe it. They have every part I ever needed for the build that engine. And I have it. I have that complete. And it's not put together, but I've got everything that Daryl ran in that first season. I've got it. That's, a, that's insane. I yeah. mean, well, like I'm saying, I mean, you've been building the engine long before you had the car because you, you were determined that car is going to be mine one day yeah. and, and I want the parts and pieces. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. that because Butch would say, what's this going in? And I'm like, just wait, uh, just wait, you know, and he about fell over the other day and he goes, I can't believe this is the plan all along. I said, that's what I was trying to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's an, it's incredible that, that, that so few people knew about this car, like remembered the car, you know what I'm saying? And especially such a car that was that was pretty that was pretty remarkable for the time. And then every hands it changed to, you know, set records and it did unbelievable things. And then for somebody to store it, keep it, and then you track it down and then you kind of put your fishing line out there and say, oh, just one day, one day it's going to uh-huh. be mine. So let uh-huh. me just start uh-huh. building the parts and pieces because the other motor that was kept for it. Does the, the now you said it was uh it was Steve kept the other motor right or the heads? So he kept the but but by then the angle port heads were already removed. Daryl took those off in '75 when he went to B modified. They built a smaller motor, a '74, '78, '88 motor, and at that time Fumio had a new series of heads, and so the angle port heads were removed. I think in late '75. So when uh, Harvey Cox got it in 75, I believe the angle port heads were already off and it was a more con- uh, conventional configuration exhaust port. And so those heads, those heads that Harvey got uh, in 75 continued on and stayed with Steve Shook. The lower end um, with all the Acrosa stuff and the Chevy rod, that went with uh, uh, Jimmy Fulton and he raced that in 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 that the white car plus his other cars that he had wow 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 i'm i mean i'm looking at the, i'm looking at, i'm so i'm not a big follower of the vintage drag stuff so i'm looking at the fumio uh the fumio fukaya heads right now and i'm thinking i'm looking at that angle on, yeah. <laughs> on the exhaust and i'm thinking so does that does that have a collar on it and a and a sleeve tube that goes right inside the head is that how that seals up well actually they would just bore into the exhaust port through the outside casting and the the and they would weld two stud and bungs on the outside mm-hmm. so the exhaust pipe would fit slide right into the casting maybe about an inch deep right into the port and it would made up in, it would blend into the exhaust port instead of making that 90 degree bend and then there would be two bungs welded on the end of the, uh, uh, the exhaust pipe, and then you would tighten it up with 8-millimeter nuts. 
And so it just, it actually presses right into the head casting itself. Yeah, look at that. So there's no flange or gasket or anything. No, stuff. Yeah, it's just no, a, it's no. a press it's, fit. It's, there's a, and there's a step in there, the thickness of the pipe. And so when the pipe actually, the, 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 it's inch and five eighths, I believe. Inch and five eighths goes in there, it blends right, you know, and, and Fumio blended all that in. So there's no step. It just blends directly into the exhaust pipe. It's insane. I mean, I'm looking at your pictures online right now. It's insane, and uh, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll get some pictures posted of this stuff on the blog so yeah. people can follow along as they're listening to the and, podcast. And Mike, Mike Fisher just restored those things uh, six months ago and did a beautiful job because I was so afraid that if I didn't have somebody go through them that the first time I ran this car, it would drop a retainer and destroy this engine. And I think now, nah. and as it was, it would probably have done something like that. So, I had my completely restore them, and they're gorgeous now. So, yeah. well, that's uh, man, man, what a great story. I mean, I just, I just love the fact that that you were so passionate to to get this history and preserve it because, especially for something that was for such a short period of time, a pretty progressive car that's been forgotten about, but it comes back to the roots of VW drag racing. Yeah. So the, 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 the sad part about this story is, okay, in 2012, um, I did, I went up to uh, Oregon and spent a few days with Daryl Vatone. Mm-hmm. And I did a pretty in-depth interview that was a two-part story in Hot VWs, I think it was 2012, and spent a lot of time and recorded a lot of our conversation. Well, I listened, since listened to the recording, there's about a half-hour segment where we specifically talk back and forth about this 67 of the building of that car. And he explains to me his, you know, his ideas, what, why he did what he did. And to a certain, you know, I still have a million questions. I wish I could ask him. And so he knew back then that I was on the hunt and as early or as late as March of this year, I talked to him on the phone and, you know, he was pretty sick then. And we were talking on the phone and I told him, I said, I'm really close to this car deal. And I said, we've, I've got, it's, it's out of the, the garden and it's, it, we're getting close. And I think we're getting real. And he was real happy to hear that, uh, that, you know, that I was getting the car and it was going to come back and restored. And then he passed away a month later. And so unfortunately he wasn't alive to see what, you know, finally transpired, but he knew, he knew that, 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 uh, that the car had been found and it was going to be, you know, brought back and uh, restored. So he did know that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible story and the patience and perseverance that you've had to go through just to get this car. Because I mean, as VW guys, you know, I, I don't know, I speak for myself, but my whims change constantly and I want one of everything. And as I, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of the, the, the trouble that I, that I'm in and, and, but for you to be, just so laser focused on getting this car back and now and now to have it back i mean did you did you tow it back yourself from uh no i looked into you know a lot of different uh configurations and for me it was almost 1700 miles one way and the idea of especially now the way things are traveling uh the, the toa trailer all the way back to baton rouge load the car up and then come all the way back in, you know, six, seven days on the road and wear and tear on me and the cost of gas and hotels and food. I thought, you know, as much as I want to get this car back as soon as possible, I just wasn't in and, and I, I just didn't want to do it. Yeah. 
Right. And so I've looked into several different shippers. And the problem that I had was that uh, when you arrange a, a commercial shipper to pick up a car, there's a window, and it ain't a two- or three-hour window like your cable guy. It's days. Well, I can might be there Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. Well, I couldn't sit back in Louisiana waiting for this guy to show up. I said, no, that ain't going to work. So what I did is our, my buddy Mike Cummings that lives about an hour south of Baton Rouge, uh, and you know, I, I shot his car years ago, and we've been in contact. And I knew he was a trucker, and I knew he had a trailer and a hauler. And so I, we talked on the phone. I said, "Is there any way you could pick this car up for me?" He goes, "Absolutely." So he came up on Tuesday morning and met us there at the house with his trailer. And then Clint Cox in Texas got me four four bolt, excuse me, four bolt wheels that held air, and we got those last weekend and so we had tires that would hold air so mike cummings met us at the house in in baton rouge and we jacked up the car mike you know replaced the tires so we, it would be a roller and we wouldn't have any issues and we loaded it up on his trailer and so then he ended up taking it home so he's going to babysit a while while i'm still negotiating and trying to find my best guy to haul this thing back to california so and that's what i'm working on right now is trying to get a you know, because the car doesn't run, it's a non-op car. It's just a roller, and it doesn't even have brakes. Yeah. And you know, and it, it just a, and so a lot of guys are like, eh, you know, right, two thousand bucks, I'll mess with it. And I'm like, no, nah, that ain't gonna happen. They, they don't want they don't want to be bothered with it. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, I'm still working on that. And I said, I'm just not. I, I just don't feel like driving all the way back there. Um, I'm trying to get it. If the, the minimum is to get it hauled over to Phoenix to Mike Fisher or somebody, and then I'll go to Phoenix and pick it up and come back the next day. Something like that. I'll do six hours, but um, not the Baton Rouge from California. Uh, that's just not in the cards. <laughs> that's a haul. That's a haul. Round but, trip it is. Yeah, it's 3,400 miles. Yeah, that's so, insane. Man, not that's, me. Listen, I I love the story, and I'm I'm excited to see you know the car go through the process of getting restored back to its original glory. Thank and, you, Matt. Well, I, and I would say more preserved than restored because everybody's provision of restored is like back to brand new. But like you no, said, you know, the, no. the thing, the underlying thing is this car started its racing campaign as a hundred thousand mile trade in. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what I've got to restore. So like this, I was buying a steering wheel a couple of months ago. And I was looking for it because this thing had a stock steering wheel. I wanted a stock, you know, gray black steering wheel that hadn't been refinished, that you know, that was in nice, reasonable condition. Because I didn't want I could go to you know Bob uh, Koch and and have him make a perfect one. Well, that's not what this car needs. And so I found a really nice original steering wheel with no cracks in it. I go, that's the one. And even the horn ring, for whatever reason, it Daryl had a broken horn ring on it. Well, that's what's going back on it—a broken horn ring. So you've got detailed pictures that that uh, that yes. Jer had this whole time, like yep. that, that where yep. you look at all these pictures. So, yep, yep. Well, that's and, awesome. You know everything about it. There's a cigarette lighter now. Daryl was a smoker of cigarettes and other things, and it has a Chevrolet cigarette lighter in it—a big chrome deal because you know that's what Daryl did. And so that's what's going back in this car is a, not a Volkswagen, a Chrome 70s, you know, era um, um, cigarette lighter. And that's what's going back in it. No, that's so, and so if, 
was this so was this car featured in Hot VWs? Anything, no, or was it just VW it, Greats? It, it was. Uh, I think I, I just did that. It's Larry. Uh, it was in Carcraft, September of '74. That was a big story. Uh, VW Great July of '74 was a comparison of this car and Dave Andrews' car. And then there was another story that I that I got, but I don't know what magazine. Probably another drag racing. Probably drag racing. And so though, so Hot VW ignored it because it was boring, and it, it just like eh, white, didn't, you know. And so Hot VW, they just yeah. Yeah, it does. It doesn't. It's just. It just. It, it was. It just co- fell completely off the radar. The guys just completely just said, "Nah, there's, this is boring. This is not red. It's not blue. It doesn't have any graphics. It's just a stock car with a big giant motor in it." They they could care less at the time. So, so VW great. They ran it. Good for them. Wow, that's rad. Oh, what a great story, man. Man, I'm. I, I listen. I'm excited that we got this. That we got this. This documented now. And and for our listeners to get out there and enjoy, and then for uh, for us to share this with the rest of the VW world because it's such a great story, and it and it and it, I think it it gives us hope that there's still more gems out there to be found, yeah. and it's just going to take the legwork to track yeah. them down. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing that always comes to mind is I look at you know Daryl was you know one of my heroes, and so I look at the cars that he race and so the inch pincher one went to mexico city and you know who knows whatever happened to that car it got chopped and hacked up and it's you know it's it's still out there maybe somewhere inch pincher two ended up going to new york uh mother's performance had it and it it, for by all reports it got destroyed and it's gone so that car's gone and then the fiat is obviously alive and well it's in scotland by russell ritchie and it's a total restoration and it probably is going to run this summer at European bug in next summer. So that car still exists and this white 67. And that's really, that's Daryl's, all of Daryl's air cooled race cars, uh, up to the Gia that he built here a few years ago for, um, the Mojave mile, basically a Bonneville car. So those are what's left of Daryl's legacy as far as his air cooled car is, this the Fiat and the white 67. So that's to me why I wanted, I wanted that, that car because it was Daryl. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it, it preserves all that history to be, to continue to go out there and, you know, be enjoyed by all the enthusiasts and people that want to, you know, be able to see what, what it was really like back then. And I think a lot of people will be surprised to see this car in the condition it's going to be in of what a, a, a Wally earning kind of car was back in 74. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You that's, know, that's you know if fantastic. I could put, the, if I could put the tears in the driver's seat, I guess I could, I don't think I'm going to go quite that crazy. You well, know? <laughs> I look forward to seeing this car when it, when, whenever you bring it out or whenever there's going to be another show to bring it to. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, I'm excited about that, and hopefully, yeah, you, I'm so too. I just, I just hope that my health hangs in there like it has been, and I, I have the energy to continue doing it. I mean, I've got the location for it. I've got the sources to do it. You know, Richard McPeak's still around, and so I still got some really good guys to tap into. And Dave Andrews is still good, and I can always talk to him about you know the way these cars were built. And uh, so yeah, I'm uh, anxious to get going and, and, and get into this car and figure out the best way to 
to restore this car, uh, like you said, you know, without over restoring it, because everyone keeps telling me, Richard Roth, go, don't over restore this car. Don't do a typical Dino on this thing. And I, and I have to kind of step back a little bit and, you know, no nylocks and no, you know, go, uh, iridited stuff. It's just eight millimeter nuts. You know, it doesn't have to be an ARP stainless 12 volt, <laughs> just an eight millimeter nut. Right. Know? Right. That's you just know? awesome. So, I mean, it's, it, it's so, it, it's, it's almost like, it's like this car's name would be that'll do like that'll do. We'll just use that right there and we'll grab that. And that's, and we'll just, we're, we're going racing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. Well, Dino, I appreciate you coming on here, man. It's a, that's a great story and I'm excited to, to get this out there to the VW world. And, uh, hopefully I'll, uh, I'll steal some pictures from you or whatnot to put them along sure. with the blog. And, yeah, uh, there's, there's lots of photos of it. And I appreciate the time while it's fresh in my mind coming, just coming back from this whole trip. And while I've got everything, you know, go, I'm still, you know, red hot on this thing from this trip. So your timing was good and allowing me to, you know, my my brains out on your all over your uh, airlines there. No, I I love it, man. And for sure, for sure, this won't be the last time we'll have you back, man. For sure, maybe uh, okay. if I get a chance to get down there uh, to your neck of the woods, that we'll do some video of the car and some some things like okay. that too. So sounds good. Sounds good to me, man. I appreciate you and uh, and and keep keep being influential in the hobby, buddy. I appreciate you so much. Uh, thanks a lot, Bill. It's been a pleasure. All right, buddy. See ya. All right, take it easy. Bye bye. Man, what a great story. And I hope you guys really appreciated that because there's a lot of history in there. And some of you guys that might not have known learned a lot about uh, some early race history. But it's so awesome to bring those cars back from the dead, track them down, and get them back up and running. So it's a long story. It's a great past that car had. But right now, before we close out, man, give some shout-outs to some people that supported Let's Talk Dubs. Had a couple people review the podcast. We had Superfly Silver Fox says five stars for the Bull Run Bus. Bull Run Bus is what he says. And then Jets for Kids said, great show. Just found the podcast very well done and relevant to modern world air-cooled VWs. Also, M. Ken, who I th- I'm sneaking suspicion, that's Mike Kennedy, said, effort matters. Nice work on the show. Great info and conversation flow. And then he throws this jab in at the very end. says, need George on more. I know what that's all about, Mike. No, but... <laughs> And let's not forget the people that support us by buying some merchandise. First, we had Jose Christian Villanueva. He bought a sticker pack. And also, we had a shirt picked up by Matt Waters out of Temecula, California. Now you know, if you want a shout out, make sure you buy some merch or you leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Until next week, guys. Later.